Well, indeed, this is a great morning for you because you are at the beginning of a new series called Guardrails. And I came across this uh, idea in this series uh, a period of time ago. It actually was framed up by Andy Stanley and North Point Church. But um, it fits so well with what we need to be seeing and hearing and wrestling with in our contemporary culture. There's a lot of issues I'd love to address in this series, but I'm going to have to stay sort of confined to it. Uh, we're going to spend five weeks doing this in the middle of uh, the part of November, though. We're going to take a, a week off to, not away from church, but to have Global Awareness Weekend. But uh, we have five talks on this area of guardrails that I trust will become uh, very helpful to you concerning the practical living that you're required to do day in and day out. Whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're a seeker, somebody that's just sort of interested in God, trying to put some pieces together, uh, I believe this series will really help you as it relates to the practical dimensions of your life. And so it's called Guardrails, and I just lost my remote somewhere. It's down here. How about that? So Guardrails, um, and, and if I, it can be if you're a little bit paranoid with... Uh, um, spelling issues. You can spell it with one word or you can spell it with two words, so don't worry about that, okay? And um, guardrails, uh, we're all very familiar with. We don't have any guardrails today other than that bumper video, but we do have these standards here, which I thought were very appropriate. So it represents a barrier, but let me give you a definition for guardrails. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Now, they're all around us, guardrails are. In fact, when you drive out here today, you'll see guardrails. We don't really pay attention to them. We don't know that we need them until we really do. And if you're in a car and you're getting bumped alongside the road and there is a valley next to you, you are glad that there's a guardrail. Or maybe you've been going up a mountain or something and you're going, Wow, there's no guardrail there, and you're feeling a little bit, what, anxious. But the guardrail is there to uh, keep us to straying into um, off-limit or dangerous areas. Bridges, medians, and curves. That's where you'll see guardrails, right? The bridges, because, well, you can drop off the side and into a river or a ravine, whatever it may be. The medians... The guardrail's there to keep the people coming from the other side of the road from hitting you or maybe you from straying and hitting them. And with all the highways we have here in SoCal, we're very mindful of the medians and the guardrails that are there or curves or uh, soft areas alongside the road. And so there's guardrails all around us. So you take the image this morning of guardrails, walk with it for the next few weeks, and let's see how God maybe can use this to be a reminder in our life on a practical basis. Guardrails do two things, if you've thought about it. They direct and they protect. They direct you in a certain way in case maybe something happens, and they're protecting you from something that you don't want to find yourself into. In fact, it's good to look at it this way. With guardrails, there is a safety zone and there is a danger zone, but where is the guardrail placed? It's placed in the safety zone. Remember that. It's placed in the safety zone so that you don't fall into the danger zone. 
and it takes up space in the safety zone. If you're going across the bridge and they put up a guardrail there, they put the guardrail in the safety zone part, and we don't think anything about it. We could say to ourselves, oh, I wish I could drive closer to the edge and have a better view or something, but no, we're glad to have the guardrail there in the safety zone to protect us from dangers that might come on the other side of that. Guardrails are designed to minimize damage. Now, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but some of you in here have used a guardrail before. (laughs) And you've probably had damage with your car. But the damage you could have had if that guardrail wasn't there could have been significantly much more. And so guardrails are placed for us to have minimized damage in the situations that are at hand. But here's the reality of why we're having the term guardrails used. It's not only highways that need guardrails. We can use them too in our personal lives. The highway isn't the only place that we use guardrails. We have to have guardrails to be able to make our way through in life to protect us from those things and those situations, those events, those failings that we do not want to go into. Here's the reality, though. Culture does not encourage guardrails. In fact, when I listen to some of the exhortations, whether it be uh, a television show or news or something else that may be going on, a contemporary event, do you ever scratch your head going, where does that thinking come from or haven't they thought through this yet? And so culture does not like to talk about guardrails. And part of that is because you and I, we don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what to do. You don't want to be told what to do. And so guardrails are perceived, uh, personal guardrails are perceived as telling you what you should and should not do. You stay here, you don't go there. And so culture has sort of eliminated an awful lot of guardrails that are helpful for us as we move forward in life. What does culture do instead? Culture is content with painted lines. Painted lines. Now, if you see a yellow line, that means what? Stay clear of that. A solid line. You know what it is. The hyphenated line. If you're driving one of the many freeways around here, you know the wider hyphenated line means something different. If you're going into HOV lane, there's double lines sometimes. Sometimes you can crisscross with a hyphenated line, right? The lines are there on the road. But there's a big difference between a painted line and having a barrier, is there not? How many times have you been driven down? Maybe you're one of these people. I try to obey best I can because it's pretty expensive if you don't. That just all of a sudden dart over in the HOV line. HOV line. You're like, wait, wait a second. How do you just do that? Is there a policeman around here or something, right? Well, why are they able to just dart over into the HOV? Because it's just a painted line. But if there's standards there, if there's barriers, if there's guardrails, they're less likely to do that even though they might try to shoot through it. Well, what's happened in our culture is our culture is getting rid of all the guardrails. 
Now, we may think of them as rules and do's and don'ts, and it's really not that. God has this, this understanding for why guardrails need to be there in our personal lives. But culture is just sort of pressing them away. Do what you want to do. Oh, that's okay. Every, everybody has their, their own uh, interest and, and their own rights. But there's problems with that because you move out of a safety zone and you find yourself in a danger zone in life. And so it's not about being told what to do and what not to do. It's for your protection. Time and time again, I've had to encourage others as well as myself, rethink through it, that God has a reason for some of the personal guardrails that are there for the sake of my betterment and my freedom and my protection, not to keep me away from some wild and crazy ride down a mountain cliff or something else I think I might want to do. So guardrails. Culture is not going to champion you for having guardrails of protection in your life. But I'm pretty sure that if something happens, culture will be the first to mock and look with disdain upon you for going over the cliff. And maybe the guardrails are in areas of financial matters, moral issues, relational developments, or even in your professional life. There's all kinds of personal guardrails that are valuable and helpful for you. But cultures remove the barriers and just sort of want you to have a painted line. Have you ever thought about some of the instructions that, that come by way of the gray lines or the painted lines that culture gives? How about this one? Drink responsibly. You like that one? Now, I'm sure there's good intent behind it and, and you know, an and understanding of it, but that's not really a guardrail. That's sort of a, a nice suggestion. And the problem is when you're inebriated, uh, you really aren't responsible. So how do you make that decision to drink responsibly in those kinds of moments? All right? Or how about this one with... Um, with youth, young adults, as it relates to sex, wait until you're ready. Well, it's a painted line. Well, wait, wait until you're ready, and I'm, I'm sure there's some good intentions behind that, and maybe it's helpful at some kind of level, but, and I'm not sure really who wrote that kind of thing, but I tell you what, if, if you were to ask a teenager, wait until you're ready, a boy teenager, that boy's going to look at you and say, I'm born ready. You mean wait until I'm ready? Uh, well, what kind of uh, uh, painted line or guidance is that? Here's another one related to finances. Consolidate your debts. Well, it's probably a good point, something you can do. But as a financial statement or pattern or direction in your life, it's not going to give you an awful lot. And here's sort of one that's sort of in the bottom of the barrel if you pull it out as far as it relates to some, some uh, guidance. Listen to your heart. Just listen to your heart. Like, what does that really mean, listen to my heart? Because I tell you what, I swing with an awful lot of emotions and thoughts with my heart. Culture disses on guardrails. It paints a few lines. But then if something happens, 
if the affair occurs, if you file bankruptcy, they'll be the first ones to say, wow, what a loser. I can't believe they did that. Family wrecker. Friends, the guardrails are there not to take away our joy and our freedom on the highway of life. If you're flying down the highway, it's good to have guardrails. And God is about your freedom. And any guardrail that needs to be placed in our lives is for our protection and for our enjoyment of the free life. But culture just says, forget those. That's been too much in my business. And we as parents, even as we raise and instruct our teens and our children, there is an appropriateness to articulate the value of having good personal guardrails in different areas of our life. Any of you ever heard of the Billy Graham rule? Back in the 60s, Billy Graham, I think it was in Modesta, California, actually, he articulated what was a rule in his life as actually a personal guardrail. And he made the decision that he would not choose to meet privately or individually with another woman other than his, family, his wife or a family member. Uh, he wouldn't go out to have a meal with uh, a woman, uh, just the two of them, or to be able to travel together, those kinds of things. And so it's sort of been known as the Billy Graham rule. It's just sort of a nice type of guard rail there. But a couple years ago, it became not only known as the Billy Graham rule, but the Mike Pence rule. Because Mike Pence revealed that he had been following the Billy Graham rule in his life. Well, what happens is culture just all gets up in arms and starts mocking this idea that what do you mean you're not going to meet privately with a member of the opposite sex other than your wife or a family member? And so he was hounded about it. You know, culture went crazy on it. Like, what do you think? You're so conservative. That's crazy, that kind of thing. Well, in this matter of fact, understanding of all this, a lot of it was mischaracterized and misrepresented. And so there are some legitimate concerns, I suppose, that come out with that. In fact, uh, in the Harbor Business Review a couple uh, years ago when this matter came, there was an article that was written by a couple guys that actually were proponents of women in the workplace and, and uh, that men should be able to mentor and train and raise up women to excel in the workplace. So it's understood some of their background, what they came from. But in reading the article this week, I was like, uh, wow, that was a little bit edgy. And they are definitely an example of culture saying, forget any guardrails. But they wrote an article in the Harbor Business Review entitled, Men Shouldn't Refuse to Be Alone with Female Colleagues. Men shouldn't, be, shouldn't refuse to be alone with female colleagues. And after ripping the idea apart that this was crazy because um, women wouldn't be able to uh, be valued for who they are, they wouldn't be able to be promoted within the workplace, and, and they had some legitimate kinds of concerns in the article, but man, they just ripped into this Billy Graham rule or this Mike Pence rule that you should never meet privately with someone of the opposite sex except to be your wife, right? Now, I know I understand counseling issues and those kinds of things. It can be varied in difference. It's why they have windows and doors of counseling and other kinds of things. But to be honest, I've been very mindful of this rule in my own life uh, through all the years that I've done ministry in particular. And it's not a bad rule. 
Can it be uh, mischaracterized and even misapplied? Sure, it can. And we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that uh, in this series. But the reality is the guardrail that Billy Graham or Mike Pence then established, and many men and women today, even some of you in this room, that's a guardrail in your life, is an appropriate uh, guardrail to have. So in this article, they sort of just lay into it, but then they come back around at the end and they probably say to themselves, you know, there's, there's probably some rhyme and reason this, you know, when, when men and women, they go on business trip and they got goals set and it's late night and, and there's dinners and those kinds of things, you know, maybe, maybe there's some rhyme and reason to it. So they sort of pull back maybe a little bit and try to give a painted line, an understanding of what needed to be happened rather than that kind of guardrail. And so they said this. So what's an evolved male leader to do? In the simplest terms, become what we call a thoughtful caveman. Now, you may not be bothered necessarily by being called evolved caveman, though you always hear about caveman. You never hear about cave women. Don't you think there were probably cave women too? But you don't want to go there, that kind of thing. So it's a caveman. So what you need to do, okay, guys, in these situations is, is you don't need to go by that guardrail. You sort of just need to be a thoughtful caveman. And then it says this. This is the part. It says healthy, mature, self-aware men understand and accept their distinctly male Neural architecture. I, I don't really have too much of a clue what that means. But let me point out this aspect to you, and women, hang with me here on this. How many of those do you know? How many of those do you know? I mean, some of you have been looking for them your whole life and you can't find them. And it's like, my goodness, if, if there's one out there, let's capture it and let's study it. It'd be like a unicorn or something, right? A healthy, mature, self-aware man. Whoa. Now, here's the deal with this thing. If you're one of those, you probably do not need a guardrail. But, for the rest of us, the other 99.99%, we need a guardrail. And women, it's because of that 99.99% that you need to have guardrails in place too. It's not a dumb idea. We need guardrails not to keep us from things that are limiting to us, but to keep us in the safe zone to be able to experience the ride that God has for us. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And why did God have certain boundaries and certain things that he directed with his new creations in the Garden of Eden? They were there for a purpose. They were there for a purpose. So, that's guardrails. The whole concept the whole understanding of it. What I want to do is just look briefly at a passage of Scripture by the Apostle Paul. He was dealing with this continuously with the individuals he's trying to encourage in the faith. That there was an appropriateness to establishing certain kind of guardrails. And in the book of Ephesians, which 
If you've ever been to Ephesus, Ephesus was a thriving city at the time on the west side of Turkey. It now sits back in off the ocean because the river where all the commerce was sort of filled in. But in that day, the city of Ephesus was a thriving metropolitan commercial area. And there was all kinds of stuff happening in that city. In that city, in fact, there was, there was this contingency of Christians that he was trying to groom, but the city had some significant issues and problems. And so he wrote to them, and they probably took that letter and sent it around, or, or by a person carrier, took it around to some different kinds of places to encourage Christians. And he's listing in Ephesians throughout there, uh, in, in the middle part, actually right before the passage you're going to have us look at, he's listing some uh, straightforward things that you need to do and not do as it relates to Christian faith, all right? And they would be things that you'd be all familiar with, you know, you th- generally things against greed, against marriage wrecking, immorality, dishonesty, and he warns that there's natural and unnatural consequences of those behaviors and to which they would say, well, we're with you, Paul, but it's really hard, you know, because they lived in a pretty tough culture of that day. To which he then, he comes and he says this. So he's sitting back and he's thinking, okay, okay, okay. I hear you, I hear you. I know it's difficult. I know there's challenges out there and those kinds of things. And I've just railed off a bunch of things that are, are good and bad kind of deal. So he says this to them in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 15, be very careful then how you live. And the careful is a cautiousness thing. Look around you, pay attention to what's going on. So don't just blindly fly through life, but be mindful, be visual, be sensitive, be knowledgeable every day of your life as to what's going on around you. Be very careful then how you live. And this word live can actually be translated walk. And in some translations, that's what it is. Walk. Be very careful then how you walk in life. Now, this concept of walking and being careful, some of you who have big dogs in a small yard know what this means. I don't have a huge dog, and in my yard, which still has the desert look to it because I've not done anything with it, has a beautiful view out by the rail fence, looking over to the hills. And that's where our dog goes, and sometimes when I want to go out and see the view, what do I do? I am very careful how I walk. And so you can take that visual image with you, but this is the exhortation in life. Be very careful then how you live your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now, so he injects the whole understanding of wisdom here, which is really important because a lot of times we sit back, well, what's right, what's wrong, that kind of, excuse me, what is right or wrong, that kind of thing. But when you inject the idea of, well, don't try to decide what's right, right and wrong. What, what is wise for you to do in this situation? And wisdom, what you do is you, you look 
on your past experiences, your present circumstances, and your future hopes and dreams, and you take those into consideration and you go, well, what is the, breathe, wise thing to do in light of my past experience, my present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams? And so Paul exhorts us not to be unwise, but to be wise in all situations. So look around. Be careful where you walk, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And then he says this, making the most of every opportunity. We know that time comes and goes pretty quick in life. There's a lot of us that we have regrets because we didn't have some barriers, uh, guardrails established early on in our life and some situations, some decisions. We wish we could go back and change them. Life just keeps on rolling, rolling, rolling into the future. And you're like, whoa, here it is. So be wise and make the most of every opportunity as it relates to the time frame because. And then he says something that's a little what you might find unique. He just point blank says it because the days are evil. The days are evil. What goes on in our culture is not always the best. Culture is what it is, but society, as they remove the barriers and they have painted lines and they have one season gives way to another season politically or, or uh, jurisprudence-wise and how things operate in our world or how people understand uh, what really is the good life. Out there in our culture, in our society in which you live, Paul's referencing it as evil. You think today's bad? You should have gone back to Ephesus. I mean, in Ephesus, there were actual sexual practices that were indulged in in religious ceremonies because they thought that was totally fine. Very, very tough culture that he lived in. He says, be careful. Be careful how you walk. Wise, not unwise. Time's moving the opportunities at the hand, understand the day and the evil in which you live. And he says, therefore. Therefore. So he's going on and he's, he's, he's trying to get a hold of this. And he says, okay. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish is probably a better way of articulating why a barrier needs to be there. Because sometimes you think, are you talking about sin lines or what? Well, there's certain things that are not sent, like to meet individually with another woman uh, for a meal is not a sin. But there is rhyme and reason to see why some individuals would say that's a guardrail because for me and how I process and I think through and the things that I can step into, it's foolish for me not to have that guardrail there. So he says, therefore, do not be foolish. And so he's going to redirect you then to something else, but understand what the Lord's will is. And this understand word here is imperative, which means do this. And it's sort of weird because have you ever not understood something and then somebody gets in your face? Well, you just need to understand, 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 right? Like, well, that doesn't help me any. So why is it an imperative? Well, it's an imperative because he's, being, he's exhorting us 
to be able to take stock, to take those steps of wisdom back and seek to understand things from God's perspective and what God's will may be on a particular situation and not to fall or to succumb to the consequences thereof. So understand what the Lord's will is. Now, guardrails have to do with one thing leading to another. They're actually the antidote to one thing that leads to another because a guardrail is going to protect you from one thing leading to another thing that's not very good. And so the Apostle Paul, he gives an example of this in his next statement. Do not get drunk on wine. Where did this come from? Well, you have to understand this. In the culture of that day, wine was safer than water. Water was not purified as we have it in all the systems. If you retained water in a cistern or otherwise, it could become very stagnant and stale. And so they would have wine and sometimes mix the wine then with the water to be able to make sure that you were okay. You can get drunk on wine in that day, but you could be dead with water. Okay? You need to understand that. So when he's saying, do not get drunk on wine, he's talking about this watered wine or wine water in one sense. And if, as they would drink that, it would be a common thing of their day. I know we live in wine country, and it's sort of different here, and we dial into great wines here and there, all that kind of thing. But So he's not coming out and, and hammering this aspect of wine. It was just part of the culture of the day. But he does say, do not get drunk on wine. Now, is getting drunk a sin? Well, in some sense, regards, it can be, but he doesn't even think of that. The, the aspect, it's not a sin, it's just a foolishness factor. And why is it foolishness to him? Because he then adds this following sentence, which leads to, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, can you fill in that blank? Do you know someone or something or some situation where that led to something that wasn't good? All right? It's all fine and fun and dandy until the man punches the woman or until the car comes across the median or until the student at the party looks around and watches everybody else stopping, but he can't stop. It's this idea that one thing can lead to another, and the guardrail is the antidote to protect us from one thing leading to another. So he has this simple exhortation, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, and, and if I could just say this statement, you need to know, I, uh, how do I, I guess I have to come clean with this. I don't drink. I never really have drank. I think I've had a taste of wine here or there, but it's just not something I grew up with. Alcohol was not in my home. And then I saw how alcohol led some people to some things that probably weren't good. And then I'm just too cheap to buy anything more than what the baseline is anyway, water or a tea. So I'm cautious in saying this, but I think it's a word that I heard and it's a word that is helpful because it's not a journey necessarily I have. We all sort of 
um, have our own journeys and our challenges and struggles. But if more than one person has told you that you drink too much, you do. All right, now back to Paul. Just certain guardrails that maybe are helpful. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, he puts this word, debauchery. Now, debauchery is a term of lack of self-control, indulgence, has sexual connotations to it. It's like, do not get drunk on wine because on the other side of that barrier, in the danger zone, is all kinds of foolish stuff that can happen. They can wreck a home, wreck your personal life, wreck your career. Stay clear from it. It's just wise to do that. So what kind of barriers there? You know, I sort of jest there a little bit. If you drink too much, you know, somebody's told you you've drank too much, you have kind of thing. But sometimes I wonder, and when I'm in situations, are we now just in a social kind of situation and enjoying life and relax and loosen up a little bit? Or are we starting to get a need for having a buzz? to deal with some other kinds of aspects of life. Be wise. What's going to lead one thing to another? Now, I trust in those kinds of statements, this kind of understanding, this is the Apostle Paul. I'm not standing up here giving some legalistic rule on the whole thing of use of alcohol. But it's there for you. God can speak to you. You know where you're at and what freedoms you have. Guardrails safeguard us from handing over control of our lives to someone or something else. That's why they're there. What are the guardrails that you and I need to be having in our life related to things like finances and morality and relationships and even professionally? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, what Paul does here is he dials into his faith. So probably about seven years after Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, uh, maybe earlier than that, the Apostle Paul uh, came to place his faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so up to this point, we're just sort of talking some good type of guidelines, that kind of thing. But what Paul does here is he turns and he locks into his faith and his belief in the death and the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ. Because the Apostle Paul became a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, it's sort of interesting to dial into this. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is where we're turning from this lack of control. It's not like, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stay clear. I'm going to... It's like, no, you need to now turn a different direction. I almost see it as instead of hugging the guardrail, and that's what we do sometimes in life, well, it's out there playing dangerous, right? I'm going to hug the guardrail, the wild side of life. Let's look at pressing towards the center of things. And that's exactly what he's saying here with instead. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God works through our conscience. And we're able to discern things. And when you become a Christ follower, isn't it sort of interesting how God sort of wakens up your consciousness to things that you were never really conscious about too much before? And so that still small voice is saying like, uh-uh, 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 stay clear from that. I don't know how many times I was writing something. I told my staff this last week. I wrote, responded to an email that was pretty directed at me. And I'm like, 
no, 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 no. I need to delete that. I deleted that. And I started over again, right? It's like, that's the Holy Spirit speaking into us. And Paul says, get focused there. Get focused on being filled with the Spirit. And the idea of being filled with the Spirit is for Him to consume your thoughts and your heart. That's why it's important to be in the Word, to be practicing uh, spiritual disciplines in your life, gathering for worship, whatever it may be, because you're trying to be more Christ-centered and you want His fullness in your life to be able to move forward and make good, wise decisions that are going to be liberating and freeing to you. And the word filled here is of a verb that means having been filled, keep on being filled. So just fill it up. Let's fill it up again. Let's fill it up again. If you're going to walk with wisdom and stay clear from the danger zone and enjoy the safety zone of God's freeway and highway in life as you're cruising along, then be filled up continually, not with gasoline, but be filled up with the Spirit of God. And He will give you guidance and leading and direction. But sometimes we go, well, I need wisdom. I need to hear from God with this. But you've been out to lunch. You've not been trying to focus on His fullness in your life or in His Word in in any manner whatsoever. And so the Apostle Paul, don't get drunk on wine. Don't go foolish on those efforts. Crash. Don't lose control of your life. Crash on the heart and the fullness and the Spirit of God dwelling within you as He leads you. And so that's his instruction. It's his instruction. Be very careful then how you live, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Guardrails are sort of like defensive living. They protect us. Some of you are having this journey right now of maybe one of your teens learning to drive. Well, you get some of the basics down and you just hold on when you're in the car. Hold on tight. But one of the things that I'm trying to encourage my daughter as she's in that driver training aspect now is to be able to drive defensively. Watch out. Be careful. You never know what that person's thinking or what they're not thinking when you pull up to that intersection, right? So this is Paul's exhortation. There's a sense of defensive living that you need to be mindful of, and it's not a killjoy. It's actually one that speaks inspiration and hope and beauty into your life. We said guardrails are there to direct and protect Know this, stepping away from what can harm you is a step toward the one who loves you. And so it's not about rules and do's and don'ts. It's about finding the beauty of the one who loves you and seeks you. And if I can add this as well, this is important. It's, it's really not about us just becoming good people not about us becoming better people it's really about us becoming more surrendered people am i going to be surrendered to the one who loves me and will the guardrails be established to direct and to protect because he has beautiful and wonderful plans for my life culture will never celebrate you having guardrails 
But if you have guardrails, I can promise you, you'll have less regrets in life. And you will find the one who loves you is there to protect you and take you to places that he desires for you to be. It's about surrender. So, as Joe closes with a song, I just uh, want you to answer a question. What is it for me? What is the first place I need to start with concerning guardrails in my life to live wise and to seek his filling of his spirit? And then, what is that one area, what is the particular guardrail that needs to be placed there for you to be able to experience the protection and the guidance that you need in your life? We're going to come back to it next week. We're going to take another stab at this whole understanding of the value and the beauty of guardrails in our life. The usher is going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards or your trunk or treat cards. If you want to pray with somebody after service, I want to encourage you to come over to this area where I'm pointing to along the wall and pray with somebody. Maybe it's a question you have. Maybe you find yourself on the other side of the guardrail and there's some danger that you're in and you just need to pray with someone. Or maybe you want the guidance of that Holy Spirit in your life and you'd like to make a commitment to follow Christ today. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning in all of your beauty that you fill us with your spirit to keep us protected from that which leads us into non-controlled dimensions that lead to dangerous things in our life. Lord, may we center our life on you for your glory, for your praise. Amen and amen.